You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. When we make a stand for the Lord, sometimes, like David and Jonathan, you become unpopular. When you make a stand for the Lord, you're going to be unpopular. I can guarantee you, when you make a stand for the Lord at your job, you might be the only one standing up for the Lord, and you'll become most unpopular. When you make a stand for the Lord around all your old friends, I can guarantee you will stick out like a sore thumb and you'll become most unpopular and your friends will probably drop you like a heart attack. As Pastor Dave continues his teaching series through the book of 1 Samuel, he'll be challenging you to be bold for the Lord even in the face of persecution. Jesus himself said that if you want to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. The darkness hates the light and when you shine for Jesus, there will always be contention. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. As he continues his message, David goes into exile. You are in verse 20, you see that the plan now is going to take effect. In verse 20, he says, After you go to the stone of Azeel, then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And here I will send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there's safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way for the Lord has sent you away. And for as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord is between you and me forever. And David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down at the feast. The plan set. David's going to hide in the fields for several days to avoid the king's presence. Jonathan then is going to go out and say, we're going to have some target practice. He's going to bring a servant with them. As the servant went to retrieve the arrows, Jonathan's either going to say, keep going, the arrows are further, meaning David should run away, or come back, come back, the arrows are closer, which means David can come back to the king's palace. So the moon, new moon comes which is a feast day. And all the servants of the king were required to be at the table. All the servants had to be there. David was a servant of the king. He had to be there. It was required. So let's look at verses 24 through 29. Then David hid in the field, and the new moon had come. The king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on on a seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. I love it. Saul always sat with his back to the wall. (laughs) I love it. He's not too paranoid. And when Jonathan arose, and Abner sat at Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened that the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, 
Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please, let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. The king obviously notices David's absence, and he thinks he's detained because he may be unclean. And he finally questions where David is. Jonathan's reply was that David had family business. Now, what's interesting here, the plan was originally for Jonathan to say his father had called him away. But Jonathan says his brothers commanded that he go to the thief. And in verse 30 through 34, we see the lovely king's response. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established over your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said, what should he? Why should he be killed? What has he done? And Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for, the, for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So here we see the king's passionate response. We see just how hateful the king's heart is. Probably was a combination of brooding for days, several days because of David's absence. This is what anger does to you. This is what anger does to you. I had a kid back when I coached track in Colorado. He was a champion shot putter. The kid was a monster. He had guns. I mean, and he could, boy, he could throw that shot put. He was great. But he, had a, he was a hothead. He was an incredible hothead. He always was getting into trouble. Somebody on another team had said something about him. I don't know what it was even said, but he started brooding on this. The week before the championship meet, he was brooding upon this and brooding upon this. I had him in class, and I would see him sitting there seething, and I would go over there and go, listen, you need to let this go. You got a big meet coming up. You could be champion. You could be the state champion in this. You got to let this go. This is very important. Yeah, okay. And you can see him brooding, brooding. We get to the bus. We 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 board the bus to go to the track meet, and you can see him. Boy, he went, I'm like, you got to settle down. You have got to get rid of this, or you, you're going to hurt yourself. And he goes to the back of the bus. The entire time he's in the back of the bus, I hear him going. <sighs> I was like, oh, what's this guy? He's a madman. So I'm sitting there as all the kids get off the bus. I'm saying, listen, you've got to let this go. You're blowing a great chance to be the champion of the state of Colorado. You're blowing a really good chance. Be careful. Don't get in your head. Okay, coach, I got it all. I'm all ready. So I said, good. Now go down there and report in. He walked down there. He walked up to the starter, and he said, my name is such and such. He turned around, and there was a kid. Turned around and laid him right out. Ejected. No state championship. This is what brooding does. The people get brood over something, and it gets all into you. And you're brooding and brooding and brooding and brooding, and you're thinking about it, and, and, and Satan's in there going, yeah, 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 and you get all this, and next thing you know, when you see the person, you just explode. You just go out and never, never land. 
That's what the king did. He lashed out. He didn't lash out at David. He lashed out at Jonathan. He threw a spear at his son. He throws a spear at his son. The king is so angry. And then he starts talking about his own wife. He says disparaging words about his wife. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to go there. I had a crazy thought that I just go, let go by. Let that bad boy pass. Get go out of here. He says these crazy things about Jonathan's mother. He's, he's called her, you know, it's almost, he's almost, what he's implying here is that Jonathan's mother slept around and Jonathan wasn't his son. That's what he's saying in these words. That's how foul he is now. That's how pent up with anger that he's all roasted in. He's just so angry. Jonathan can't be his son. His son wouldn't do this to him. There's no way. No way. Saul thought Jonathan should have protected, not only should Sir Jonathan have protected his father's throne, but he should have protected his own throne, which was to come. See, if you are a son of the king, you're the next king when the king passes away. It's called secession. But we know that God has already taken the throne and any secession that might be coming from Saul. We know this, and Saul knows this. He's still trying to hold on something that's not his to hold on to. How many of us have tried to do that? Hold on to something that is not ours to hold on to. He blames Jonathan's mom. The king's anger is out of control. He's shouting, he shall surely die. This was his intentions now. They're right out there. There's no hiding it. There's no sugarcoating this, folks. He says, David's going to die. This was his intention. He says, as the Lord lives, he shall be killed. Interesting. Back in 1 Samuel 19, 6, what did Saul say? to his son Jonathan at the time. He said these words, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Oops. Despite Saul's intentions, David would not die at his hands or any other enemy. Remember we had this conversation where man proposes, but God disposes. Jonathan says, why should he be killed? What has he done? Jonathan responded by defending not only David, but the the right cause. This was right. David hasn't done anything. But his support of David wasn't blind support. It was based on what was right before the Lord. See, when we support someone, we need to support what is right for the Lord. Not just because we're buddies or pals. We need to support what is right in the Lord's eyes. It was based on what was right. Jonathan's support of David just enraged Saul, and he threw a spear at him. This shows how deep his hatred was for David. He would kill his own son. Sad. Sad. Jonathan keeps his vow. And in the morning, he goes out to warn David of the king's anger. Let's look at 35 through 40. And so it was. In the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And he said to this lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond, beyond him. And when the lad had come into the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. It took courage for Jonathan to come out and communicate with David. He had to be thought maybe he was being watched by his dad. He didn't know, but he did it secretly. He didn't know if his father was aware of it or not against this murderous rage. When we make a stand for the Lord, sometimes, like David and Jonathan, you become 
unpopular. When you make a stand for the Lord, you're going to be unpopular. I can guarantee when you make a stand for the Lord at your job, you might be the only one standing up for the Lord and you'll become most unpopular. When you make a stand for the Lord around all your old friends, I can guarantee you will stick out like a sore thumb and you'll become most unpopular and your friends will probably drop you like a heart attack. They will probably ignore you. They will probably leave you and go away. Until something happens in their life and they need prayer, then they're on the phone calling you. And all of a sudden they want prayer. But you're not their friend anymore. Making stand for the Lord actually turns us into obscurity. Friends leave us. They avoid us. We become the subject of rebuke and scorn when you, become, when you make a stand for the Lord. Making a stand for the Lord in this day and age is probably one of the most, if not the most unpopular thing you could possibly do. The only other bad thing would be to jump up on Robert E. Lee's horse. I don't know. <laughs> making a stand for the Lord will cause you to be persecuted. The day will come. If it's not already here, making a stand for the Lord will cause you to be in the crosshairs of those who hate the Lord, who hate anything God. You can see it building. You can see it happening, folks. You can see it. Just look at the news. What's happening with these other people who are jumping and beating up people who are trying to peacefully protest? They come in and they beat on them. F.B. Meyer said this. These are days when to stand up for anything more than the mere conventional religion must cost something. And for this reason, let us never flinch. May we never flinch of standing up for what is righteous. Even at the cost of us, we need to stand up for what righteousness is. We need to be the ones that are calling out. We need to be like John the Baptist, voice crying out in the wilderness. Jonathan and David knew of the matter. It was no small thing. The signal of the arrow told David that his whole life had changed. He was no longer welcome at the palace. He would no longer be welcome among the army of Israel. He would no longer be able to go home. Think about it. When David stood up for the Lord, that's what it cost him. That's what it cost him. Today, when the children of Israel make a statement for Jesus Christ and, and, and receive him as, by faith as their savior, they too are ostracized by their own people. In fact, they usually have a burial. They usually have a funeral for that person. And he or she becomes dead to the family. They can no longer go home. David was now a fugitive on the run from the jealous king who was determined to kill him. Sometimes our life turns on a small thing. I always like to say we are just one bad decision away from destruction. We're just one bad decision away from a heartbreak. One night of carelessness can change a girl's life forever. One night with the wrong crowd can give someone an arrest record. It often doesn't go or seem fair that that would happen on such a small thing. But such a small thing can change our lives. This is why we must trust in the Lord at every point of our lives. That's why we must always be trusting in the Lord. And I love it on Monday, Monday nights when, when Mark tells, tells the folks, you need to constantly be in fellowship with others, keeping you encouraged in the Lord, keeping your eyes on the Lord, keeping your eyes, whether it be Bible study, whether it be meeting with other people constantly. Because when we're doing that, we're not out there doing other things. If we fill our days with the Lord, we're not out there doing those other things that are in our lives that come so natural. 
that comes so natural to us because the flesh is, we're like a rubber band. The Lord stretches us and stretches us and stretches us. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to let you on your own for a minute. And we go right back. We got to be so careful. We have to trust in the Lord every minute and every second of every day. Sometimes it even gets to the point where you're trusting him for that second, where you're trusting him for that minute, where you're trusting him for that hour. And that's the only thing you can do is trust in him. But you know what? That's enough. That's more than enough. In verse 40 through 42, we see the goodbyes. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed him down three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together for David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Back in this culture, it was normal for men to kiss. That's why they greeted each other. It says, greet each other with a holy kiss. It was normal for them to fall on each other and kiss. These guys dearly loved each other. They were really good friends. There are people who come here who, when they greet me and hug me, I give them a kiss on the cheek. My dear friend Dave Coyle, when we see each other, we're always, we give each other a kiss on the cheek. It's just out of love, out of, out of, out of, out of graciousness, because we love each other. Jonathan has to leave. David and Jonathan probably envisioned working together for the better of the kingdom. They probably envisioned that it would be a great team. They would be partners and friends before this all happened. But now all that was gone. And David couldn't even stay around. He had to go hide. And David was now going to be forced into exile. He was going to exile for some 10 years. He would be in exile for some 10 years. And during that time, he would write psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm. He would write some of the most beautiful psalms you've ever read. He will, he will write some of the beautiful, most powerful poetry and psalms to the Lord that you ever want to read in your lives. All this because of this. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And here we are, thousands of years later, reading his psalms and being lifted up by his psalms and being nourished by his psalms and being encouraged by his psalms because of what he went through. All this. David had more to weep than Jonathan the pain of being apart was bad enough, but it was worth because David was going to be cut off from everything. He would be cut off from everything for the next 10 years. They didn't know if they would ever see each other again. In fact, David and Jonathan were going to only meet one more time before Jonathan's death. David would be in hiding in caves out in the desert, hiding from all the people who would come after him. Jonathan sent David away, but he was in peace because they both knew they had an honor and they agreed upon honor to honor each other's lives and honor the descendants of each other's lives. You know, I have a strong feeling here for David and Jonathan. When B and I worshipped at Calvary Chapel Vineland, we were there for some 11 years and we made strong Lifelong friends, very much like you guys have been to us now. Lifelong, strong friends, strong Christians, beautiful friends. And when we left to come down here, it was painful. It was painful to leave them because we loved them. We worshiped with them. We fellowshiped with them. We were at each other's houses. We watched their kids grow up. They were with us during our hard times. We were with them during their hard times. We grew so close together. And when we left each other, 
even for a good reason, to come down here and do ministry, because God had called us down here. We knew it was the Lord, but there was pain there because of the separation of losing our good friends. And we've been down here now going on eight years. In fact, it'll be eight years in February that we've been down here. And although we still keep in contact with some of them, some of the wonderful relationships we have have waned, even though it's only an hour away. The relationships have waned. And that's sad. But when we see them, we can pick right up where we left off in the Lord, because that's what the Lord does for us. See, we're one with Him and one with each other in the Lord. And when you see those old friends and old people that you hung around with, you can just pick right up. And the Lord goes at work in your heart. David left. There's no such thing as a normal life for David. Not until at least Saul was dead. It was a pretty bleak road that David had to walk. Was David in God's will? Yeah, I think he was. I think David was in God's will for all this to happen. I think this was going to be a training period for David. Remember, David was young. David was still pretty young here. This was going to be a training period for him. God was going to train him and work with him in the desert. Very much, I'm thinking very much like he did with Moses. When Moses wandered in the desert, when Moses was in Midian, how he worked with him and how he taught him and showed him. Sometimes it's a bleak, bleak road when you're in God's will. Like I said before, sometimes God's will is not the easiest path that you would choose. If you're given three choices to make, and you were able to see them clearly, and you saw this great, bright, happy, skipping road, and one that wasn't so happy and skipping, but one that was like, ugh. And it had on there whose road it was, and the one that had all the thorns and the thistles and the problems said God's way. Chances are we'd all be skipping down the sunset beach. We wouldn't be worried about God's way. Sometimes God's way is tough. Sometimes it's difficult. It's a hard road. Causes pain, causes us to cry. But it also gets us closer to him. And he teaches us during those times. He's going to teach David during those times. You think that Job had an easy road? How about Joseph? Joseph didn't have an easy road. Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians and all the giant list of what Paul went through. And dare I say, did our Lord have an easy time? Did Jesus have an easy time when he walked the earth? My goodness, no. Bleak Road was important in David's life because it was God who put him there. And there, he, David must depend on God. Sometimes God puts us in places that are very, very bleak in order to get us to depend on him and him alone. David was going to be king. That was already settled in God's book. David was already anointed. He would be king. It was just a matter of time. David was going to be given this position of authority, a great authority. He had to be tested. He had to be true. He had to be strong. Let me leave you with this quote from Alan Redpath. Let God empty you out that he may save you from becoming spiritually stale. And lead you ever onward. He is always calling us to pass beyond the thing we know into the unknown. A throne is God's purpose for you. A cross is God's path for you. Faith is God's plan for you. Amen. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.